So I'm going to start this pot off with a little bit of other sports news because I was impressed by this. So we had the fights at Madison Square Garden. We're recording this on Sunday. They, were, they happened last night and they ended around midnight. And then the Knicks played at Madison Square Garden at noon. So in 12 hours, they managed to get rid of the octagon and set up the basketball court for an NBA regular season game. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Shout out to the the staff at Madison Square Garden. Never thought I'd say that. That is like interesting, you know. I mean, like obviously, like the schedules and stuff are out like beforehand. But I would assume, or I could be wrong, but like obviously the NBA gets their schedule whenever. But I guess, um, you know, I guess the UFC like maybe they saw it. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how it works. How they get the location for where they're gonna hold the pay the cards and stuff. But that's probably interesting how they figure that out. I'd love to be like a fly on the wall in those like board meetings where they figure that out. I mean, this was a good, obviously a great one to have at MSG. So yeah, and I'd say let's just hop right into this one. So the main event was the highly anticipated title fight between Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska. And before we get into that a little bit, it's crazy that this was the new main event because Jones versus Stipe got canceled. And I think true MMA fans, when they saw that this was going to be the new main event, I think everybody was happy. And I think it lived up to the hype, too. I mean, Alex KOs, Yuri Proask in round two. Dad, man. That is minutes. really wild. It's like this card was just simply it was meant to be as stacked as it was, one way or the other. And it's like, dude, like we literally had freaking arguably the great, you know, one of the greatest heavyweight uh, f- heavyweight title fights on this card not happen, and it's still delivered. So yeah, I mean, one of the better pay per views of the year, I'd say. And you know, in the main event, Pereira gets that finish over Yuri in round two, left hook followed by some elbows and hammer fists. I thought that was just a crazy finish. And I guess let's start with the fight. So obviously, we had talked a little bit before uh, getting on the pod. Yuri's left leg right off the bat was just getting brutalized by Alex's leg, leg kicks. I think it was probably the second or third time he hit him with that. He was already, like, not a wrap, but, like, his leg was definitely compromised after only a couple of them. And this is something that's really happened throughout Alex's UFC career. Like, his leg kicks have proven to be a key part of his game. I mean, they messed up Israel Adesanya's legs, and I think in both fights. If I'm thinking correctly, I might be merging them both <laughs> in my head, but um, at the same time, though, like his striking is so technical, his counter skills are so good, and I think in this fight versus Yuri, it really served him well because Yuri was coming forward most of the time, and it's not even like Yuri wasn't landing, like Yuri was doing well pressuring him, especially up against the cage, but in the end, it's just Pereira's striking, he He's a sniper. He waits for that mistake, and he gets you when you make it. And that's exactly what happened in this one. And his UFC mm-hmm. run has just been yeah. so impressive. What, what did you think of this, man? Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off uh, that, it was like, you know, yeah. I like Yuri, like, you kind of just, it was, I thought it was a sound, you know, approach to, you know, p- put the pressure on Pereira and try to back him up and then, you know, um, just like from there, just like work the short striking game and all that. But yeah, that one mistake was leaving the chin, leaving the chin wide open. And obviously, Alex Pereira is the last guy you want to do that with. And he capitalized. And like, 
that's that man pretty much like with yuri obviously from all the different um you know the unorthodox kind of approach when it comes to his striking that was something para had obviously had to uh be weary of and be ready for and it seemed like he was it seemed like he was because you know these angles that uh that Yuri Prohashka can strike from, like, they can, you know, they can put you down at any given second. But, um, yeah, I think Pierre, like, he, he could, he obviously sniffed out the, um, the mistake first. He capitalized, and we have, once again, new light heavyweight champion. Yeah, man, another chapter added. A brand new, like, because if, obviously if it was Yuri again, then, like, okay, then we just went from Yuri to Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill, Back to Yuri, so now, yeah. you know, obviously I think we could have to see Jamal Hill versus Yuri Pahashka, but, you know, now... Or Alex Pereira, I mean, I think that Jamal probably deserves a title shot. I mean, he never, he, like Yuri, he never lost the belt. And I think Dana said that if Adesanya comes up to 205, he wants him to fight a contender first. And he said he's not opposed to having that fight happen with uh, Adesanya and Pereira, but he'd like to see... Izzy at 205 kind of work his way back up because obviously we remember when he fought Jan Blachowicz, he just looked undersized and maybe he'd bulk up if he went up again. But I think as of now, Jamal Hill is probably the logical next choice for uh, Pereira. And that's an interesting fight in itself. But to go back to Pereira a little bit, I think that it was interesting because in a way he proved things, but in another way, he also just looked similar to how he has in his other fights because I don't necessarily think that he showed anything different in terms of like his grappling. Like I don't think we saw that he's gotten any better I there. Think, but I think this just probably is just you know more or less his natural uh, weight class. I mean, obviously yeah, when he sure. was we're talking about him um, as a middleweight, and we're, you know pretty much the talk of the town is like how big he looks at middleweight. So now he's going up. I mean, even at light heavyweight, he looks pretty big and filled out. And it's just, I think that that's the right weight class for him. And, you know, I, I think even though, like, we didn't see more elements to his grappling, I think the just in the first round when Yuri took him down and Alex was able to get back up, not right away, but relatively he's, quickly, that matters. He's very good at making, like, adjustments, like, with right. you know, the snap of a finger, Alex Pereira. And just, you know, like, the fight really just comes to him it feels like and then his obviously you know his kickboxing kind of just does the rest so yeah and when you're stuffing takedowns and being able to get up when you are taken down i think that that's that's a big deal because you know we still don't know what it's going to look like if uh alex gets stuck on the ground against a much better grappler because we know yuri's a good grappler but not at the same ex not at the same level as some other guys who've been at 205 and I do think that there's something to be said for how well Alex handled himself on the ground and got back up and managed to... I think after that point when he did get up, that seemed like when the the, the tide turned in his direction because he was already hurting Yuri with the leg kicks and Yuri's main hope, it seemed like, was to get him down and beat him up. and Or just like you were saying, to kind of like shorten that range so Alex can't pick him apart from the distance. So... Just an incredible performance. Like you said, the reads that he's making throughout the fight were phenomenal. And another chapter added in that crazy recent history of uh, mm -hmm. the UFC light heavyweight division. We made a video on that. If you haven't watched it yet, I'll put a card in the uh, in the video at this moment. So click on yep. that after this yep. and 
Another fa- another another face gets added to that thumbnail. Yeah, man, it's crazy that there can be any more than there have been, <laughs> just in the past like decade and even the past like few yeah. years. But um, either way, man, I'm happy to see a new champion. I think that like Alex brings new blood to that division, and even in the UFC, like his run so far has just been insane. I mean, he's had. I think only 11 pro fights. This is only his, I want to say, I'm going to look it up to be sure, but I think this is only like his seventh UFC fight. And he's already a two-division champion in the promotion. Yeah, and let me just add that's a lot, then, a lot more than a lot of guys can, yeah, can seventh say. fight already has been champion in two weight classes. It's hard to get better than that. <laughs> it's hard to get better than that. So I don't really know what's next for Yuri. I think he's in a bit of a limbo spot in the division right now, but there's still a lot going on. Rockets is about to fight um, Jan Blachowicz in January. Uh, I wrote this down. I don't think this would ever happen, but just because of the history, you know, Sean Strickland, I doubt that he ever goes up to 205. He fought at welterweight at one point. I saw, like, rumblings about this on social media, which is kind of why I wanted to address it. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Not at 205, anyway. So I think Sean's probably staying at middleweight, but Ankalaev is still around. So there's still things going on at 205, and now there's a new champion, so we'll see what happens with him next. And at heavyweight now, you could argue that there's a new champion. I mean, it's an interim belt, but we were talking about this before. So Tom Aspinall is the interim UFC heavyweight champion defeated Sergey Pavlovich in just over a minute. Perfect right hook. And like I said, now he's the interim champ. John Jones is the act like what would they call that? The lineal champion or just the, the regular champion. So he's gonna be fighting Stipe next. Dana's confirmed that, like, barring any crazy occurrence, that's the next fight for John Jones. So it looks like Tom Aspinall, unless he's going to be on the shelf for a while, because John Jones isn't going to be back. This is like the main thing. He tore his pec. That's like not an injury that you can easily recover from. So I would imagine that Tom Aspinall might be defending this interim title at some point. So I, before we get into the fight itself that just happened, what do we think of his place at heavyweight? And if he defends the title, what that means for his legacy? It's... As far as his place goes, I think it's obviously, it's super, like, firm now. Like, this ain't just, you know, prospect, nothing no more. Like, this guy is the real deal, clearly. Even coming now post-injury and now, you know, already holding a title, um, he's the real deal. And so with that, you kind of, when you think of, when you put it like that, you think, like, well, he's still holding an interim title and he's not gonna fight the actual champion just yet so you know because obviously this being a heavyweight division like you know there's there's no there's really no slouch to be found here and so with tom aspel now being back in this this spot with now obviously a bigger responsibility as interim champion it's to me it's like i think i don't even want to like say in the sense that man it's like just feel like if he defends this title and and loses you know i feel like that's yeah that's more detrimental to like his spot and his legacy than you know like i guess you know waiting it out letting the dust settle and whatnot but well you know what sucks too 
the UFC, in a way, has really ruined what it means to be an interim champion because of some of the interim title fights they've put together. And, you know, I was saying before this fight, in a way, this is almost a real title fight because John Jones is the champion, and I think he's definitely the best in the division. And, but mm-hmm. um, the thing with this fight is, like, Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich, they're the top contenders. Like, they deserve title shots. So the fact that they're fighting for a UFC title, albeit an interim one... I value it higher than I value maybe like a Josh Emmett versus uh, Yair Rodriguez, which is more of like a glorified number one contender fight. This felt like a fight where both guys deserve to have a belt wrapped around their waist. Who's going to win? And in this case, it was Tom Aspinall, and he's the interim champ. And I, I think that this shouldn't be held against him, but I agree with you when I say, when you say that if he loses in an interim title defense, that would hurt his legacy a little bit. Which is unfortunate because it's not even his fault. Like, in my opinion, I'm looking at Tom Aspinall as if he's a UFC champion right now. And that's not to say he's better than John Jones. It's just to say that he worked his way to the top and he's earned the belt that he won. So I think that I think that he's the real deal, like you were saying. And even in this fight, man, like he looked like typical Tom Aspinall, even off of that brutal injury that we had or that he had last year. So lightning quick. I mean, the power in his punches is still there, and Mm -hmm. it's just amazing. Like, his fight IQ, and we didn't really see his grappling in this fight, but we know he has exceptional grappling, and he has phenomenal footwork, and it just looked like Sergey was a step behind, and this fight didn't really take long. You know, you could see, I I guess with, you know, really any Sergey Pavlovich fight, too, he's no... It, the dude, he's he's coming a brawl and like he he was here he's bringing it um here he's pressuring Aspinall like heavily and it seemed at first like oh like you know um you know we probably get out of the first round but you know it, it would be an easy like ten eight something like that for Sergey Pavlovich and that just goes to show you just at heavyweight especially like you know like don't blink pretty much during a heavyweight fight because i mean that finish yeah (laughs) it's so crazy that was you know that was truly just a thing uh just to just mesmerize and so you know obviously you see the performance like that too from tom aspinall um i think from the ufc's approach they're gonna want to get him back in there as soon as possible see i don't know if i agree with that and and it's not because they don't want to get him in there, but right now for him, it's like, who's his next opponent? Because John isn't the next guy. We already know that. It's not going to be Stipe. I think that what they're going to try and do is get Gon versus Almeida, who just won against Derek Lewis uh, last week. I know he didn't do a pod, but that did happen. <laughs> so Almeida versus Gon, it seems like that would make sense for like a number one contender fight. And then the winner of that, maybe fights Aspinall for the interim title, which, like, it's just so unfortunate because both of those guys are killers. So, like, if they beat Aspinall, what does any of this mean? And, like I said, I think it means a lot, mm-hmm. and I think you would agree with that. But, you know, like I said, the UFC has kind of ruined the meaning of an interim title, and you hope that that doesn't impact whatever future that we see from Tom Aspinall. But... One way or another, he got UFC gold wrapped around his waist, and I think he earned his spot in that fight, and I think he deserves it. It really is difficult, because I think after the John Jones and Stipe fight, the talk isn't going to really even be about who's the champion. It's going to be about, okay, well, 
this is the greatest heavyweight of all time now. Yeah. So, like... Because Jones the... and Stipe is a legacy fight, which is fair. Like, we were talking about this, because Stipe may not be the number one contender in merit currently, but this dude's career, I mean, right now he is currently the best UFC heavyweight we've ever seen, so... I'm not opposed to a guy like that getting a title shot, even over the real top contenders. But, yeah, I mean, I need it's to cut tough. you off. To me, what it feels like is, like, really a closing of, like, you know, the prior era of heavyweight um, MMA. And now we're welcoming in this new one officially in full force with Aspinall at the top of his game, Cyril Ghan at the top of his game, Jelton Almeida on the come up. And then, obviously... Everyone, you know, even Akhalayev as well, who's, you know... Akhalayev, 205. That's right, yeah. Heavyweight, though, there's still, like, an abundance of content. I mean, Curtis Blades is still around. Derek Lewis is the type of guy you can never really count out. Volkov's still hanging around there. And Sergei Spivak is still top top 10, tied to Ivasa. And, like, you were kind of saying this before. At heavyweight, really, anything can happen because of how big they are. And you never know who's going to knock out who. And there may be people at the lower end of the top 10 who, within a couple fights, might be title contenders. So, I mean, look at Tai Tuivasa, for example. I mean, he's, he's ranked number nine right now. A couple fights ago, this dude, we were talking about him maybe getting a title shot with another win. So, anything can happen. I think that that's fair. I don't know if, like, I agree with what you're saying in the sense that it seems like it's a changing of the guard, but... We really don't know what John Jones is going to do. I mean, he might retire. He might not after this Stipe fight. And I think if he doesn't, maybe he will fight Aspinall or whoever the next contender or interim champion might be. So I think uh, heavyweight is going to be in- entering an interesting era in the next few years. And I'm really curious to see who is the real UFC heavyweight champion come like 2025. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it, but, you know, it's just like, well... We still have to do this John Jones and Stipe fight first. So yeah, I think everything kind of uh, yeah. It's hard to goes off that. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, but awesome fight, great win for Tom Aspinall. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah. And uh, another great win on this card was by Jessica Andrade against Mackenzie Dern. And I know I think we talked about this when we did the uh, pay per view previews for the end of the year. But I didn't love this matchup for Mackenzie Dern coming in because of the striking. And I saw a lot of Jessica Andrade slander before this fight, saying that she's washed. Not factoring in that she lost to Aaron Blanchfield, Jan Xiaonan, and Tatiana Suarez. All of whom are top contenders in their divisions. And I think the other thing too is that Jessica has been going up and down. Which has made people think that maybe she might not do well because that's definitely not too healthy to keep fluctuating like that. But, you know, at 115, she fought Mackenzie Dern, TKOs her in round two, and I don't know about you, man, but I saw this coming. Like I said, Dern has had sloppy boxing throughout her UFC run. It's gotten better over the past few years, but her jiu-jitsu has kind of bailed her out in a few fights, and in this one it just wasn't this just wasn't the case and Andrade swings with bombs and we know that and for uh, the female divisions the type of knockouts that Jessica Andrade delivers are not common and this fight was another example of that I mean in round two I almost thought that this could have been like a late stoppage because Mackenzie was just getting beat up on the feet and I know she wasn't down and out but it midway through the second round it just seemed like she didn't have a chance and 
couple minutes later is when that uh, that finish came, and it wasn't even like she uh, she got stopped like on the ground. Like she was really knocked out on the feet, and she just fell, which you really don't see much in female MMA. And uh, yeah, man, I I know I was going on a little bit about that fight, but. I don't know, I just feel like a lot of people didn't agree with me on that one, and I don't know why, because Mackenzie Dern, like, I don't see the the major improvements that these people are talking about on the feet. She's gotten better, but not to the same level as a Jessica Andrade, for example, but I don't know, what, what did you think of this fight coming in, and then, like, the result of it off that? Uh, pretty much, I think you could tell from just Jessica Andrade's, you know, composure in there and whatnot, like, nothing, like seem to get to her whatsoever and so what that kind of said to me is like okay well she's obviously ready for the jujitsu you know so if Mackenzie Dern is gonna you know is going to put on display this this improved striking of her and you know you have Jessica Andrade here who's going to stand with you you know that's how it's gonna be and so pretty much you know and then as far as like the weight class goes too I think this is probably now, you know, this is her natural weight class as well. And so she just seemed very just, you know, uh, even keel and just like, um, you know, she knew I what, she, is... yeah, she won. I think she knew what she wanted, where, um, what, um, what spots to attack, when to attack them. Um, you know, pretty much, I guess, like let Mackenzie Dern just like exert as much energy as there is. Obviously, like. You know, don't get caught by something, get knocked down, and then have yeah. things Mackenzie that has, way. Mackenzie has power, too. Like, I said she was sloppy, but that doesn't mean she's bad by any stretch. There's plenty of sloppy boxers who've done well in the UFC. It's just, like, for Mackenzie Dern, she has this luxury of being, like, such a legendary jiu-jitsu practitioner that she knows that her opponent doesn't want to go to the ground. So, in my mind, like, I feel like you should be... I don't, you know, I'm not trying to tell her how to train, obviously, but like, you would think that her boxing would have gotten a lot better than it has, because you know that you're gonna have to take this fight to the ground. No one is ever gonna try and take her down. Maybe besides like a Tatiana Suarez, but besides her, you know this fight's gonna be on the feet. And when you have a striker who's as powerful as Andrade and throws with just such heavy intensity, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just didn't love this matchup from the beginning and I wasn't really letting that narrative that Andrade might not be where she once was get to me because like I said the three people that she had lost to were are all top contenders like to say that that means she's washed that's crazy I, I just don't agree with that and I agree with you with though it's how uh staying at 115 might be the move for her I hope that she doesn't keep going up and down because I do agree 115 just seems like where she's comfortable but Nonetheless, it was a phenomenal win, and it was just a, another phenomenal fight on this card. And the card started off, dude, with these two insane knockouts. With uh, First, we'll talk about like Benoit Saint-Denis versus Matt Frivola. That came out of nowhere. That Like a picture-perfect lead leg roundhouse to the head. 91 seconds. Doesn't get much better than that. And then before that... Diego Lopez obviously had that um, beautiful knockout over Pat Sabatini. That was a fight I thought was going to be like a crazy back and forth war. And then Diego, San or Diego Sanchez, Diego Lopez um, just steamrolled him. And not even with the jiu-jitsu, just a bunch of punches. So I thought that was pretty crazy. But my question to you 
is which of the two knockouts did you enjoy to see? Did you enjoy seeing more? Damn, that's a good question, honestly. Um, I mean, they both got my juices flowing. Like, I was excited for this card, and then those two knockouts right off the bat got me I really think, amped. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, um, in terms of like trajectory and where both winners are going, I'd say probably Lopez. I think is the more, um, you know, eye uh, eye grabbing in terms of like, well, all right, like, you know, I I'm not a hundred percent up to what the um, the odds were coming into this fight, but I would think Sabatini, if nothing else, is a slight favorite, and so sure. they probably were close for this one. I'm gonna see if I can find them while you're. Uh, yeah, talking. and so you know, with with that as well, but you know, both guys uh, up and coming as they are, Lopez as well. Um, you know, already you know coming off the the Mo, the Mozart Evloev fight as well. Like I think with this guy, honestly, there is you know it's not perfect. Obviously, even in this fight, you could see he's it's still rough around the edges. But I think this guy's got a pretty good um a pretty good like trajectory going for him, especially after this. I mean, I think that was definitely the way to like really get your name out there, of course. Yeah. And so for sure. I think you know. Um, yeah, maybe like uh, in terms of who he fights next. I have know, a name. In terms of a style and all of that. You tell me if you agree with this or not. Danny Gay. Ranked oh. contender. It's interesting because the jujitsu, you got to edge Lopez. But on the feet, Danny Gay is a savage, man. And he's good all around. Like, he's not the easiest guy to get to the ground. So. Uh, and he's ranked. That's the big thing for me. I think he deserves a ranked opponent. I mean, Lopez got in the UFC on a short notice fight versus Evloev, who was obviously ranked at the time, and nobody thought that Lopez was going to do what he did against him. And since then, he's just been electrifying. I've loved watching him fight every time I see his name on the bill. And this this fight was no different. I mean, this one I thought was going to be some back and forth war, and he comes out there and starches Pat Sabatini. I think you got to give that dude a ranked opponent. Like he just deserves it. And Danny Gay is my pick. I'll, you know, you can tell me what you think of that. That's or do you pretty, have another name? That's pretty fair, dude. I mean, in terms of um, Danny Gay, like I think that is a. I think it's honestly that might be a. That might be like a a difficult fight for him to take, honestly. But if you know, I mean, it's I'm, moving up. Yeah, and he deserves to because, you know, you can't keep giving him guys that are on the on the bubble, I guess, of being on the rankings if he's just running through them. And he did that with Pat Sabatini, who was no yeah, slouch. I like, think I think being in a guy in there with a guy like with a Dan Ige, it, you know, in terms on Lopez's part, I think would it would def I think you would definitely like see things in a way like, you know, the weaknesses probably get shown a little more, but, you know, in terms of the strengths and what he whatever he improves on in the training camp, like coming into that fight like you probably get a little bit of that too, and then you know obviously I you can't you you, you can't a hundred percent you know predict the finish, but you know assuming like that would be a full three round fight between the two, yeah. I think it would be pretty back and forth. Yeah, I mean I, I don't know how that one would end. That I definitely would say if I had to bet, I would bet it to not go the distance, but it could. I could see it going back and forth. I see like a back and forth fight that ends in like the second or third. I, don't know, I think these guys with me, so crazy. I think yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know if if Ige like even 
throws all that caution to the wind. If it, I guess it depends. Like if he, you know, if you really think Danny going into that fight is, you know, he's the clear favorite here. Like he should win. He has to win. I think that's fair. But man, I don't know. I thought, yeah, this was a just a really encouraging performance. I think from Diego Lopez. Like he got he got him out of there quick. So yeah, and like another one where he's just been showcasing all of his skills. I mean. This dude is so exciting. I think you could put him in the co-main of a fight night or on any main That's card really all you can ask for at the end of the day, you know? Just yeah. like that exciting. Just both guys are just out there giving it all, but... And we know um, that's what the UFC wants. But yeah. in general, like, I enjoy this guy. He's one of the most exciting... Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess what I was thinking is I think, you know, Ige's, you know, Ige probably is, um, would probably look to just, you know make him work like you know what you did to Sabatini like you're not gonna get me out of there you might knock me down a one time or two but yeah. Dan's know, to, tough as nails yeah, exactly too. to actually you know finish Dan Ige like that's a tall task so for sure for sure but this was a really fun card in general I mean even the prelims are pretty good a shout out to Jared Gordon we don't have to go too far into his fight but I was happy to see him get a win um, mm, yeah. inspiring story. You know, he talked about, uh, having like the drug addiction and doing, doing heroin in Penn Station, which is like, obviously like around, uh, MSG. And then now he's winning fights at the garden. Like can't talk about a better glow up than that guy. So that's pretty incredible for him. So shout out to Jared Gordon for, uh, inspiring everyone with that one. And before we go though, next week. We have Brendan Allen versus Paul Craig at the Apex. You know, another Apex card, but I do want to say, for true fans out there, this one is definitely a sleeper. I mean, in the co-main, 15-0, Michael Morales versus Jake Matthews, Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levitt, and there's a lot of other fun fights on the undercard, and I think this one's going to be really fun. So next week, we'll be back to cover it and anything else that may happen in the MMA world. We'll see if... Uh, Chael and Ariel's beef takes any more <laughs> takes any more uh, hits, but I don't know. Before we go, actually, what did you think of that? That was uh, interesting to me. Yeah, man. I mean, like... <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the two are... Obviously, you know the two are buddies and all of that. I guess it wasn't ideal that they weren't in the studio to, like, have this conversation, but yeah. it, 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 did, it, did, it did feel like rather you know like awkward and whatnot it's like you know i understand like because if you do obviously pay attention like you understand the banter between the two and whatnot yeah. and chael obviously when chael at least when chael chael summons on camera like man he's you know there's really no filter on him but and i think they were both right in certain ways like i think ariel was right as in it was a win for francis because now his stock goes way up but i also agree with chael in the sense that like before the pay-per-view this wasn't as hyped up of a product, but now afterwards, while giving Francis the credit, it wasn't the event business-wise that it was, like, it never really was going to be a crazy event business-wise. These guys went into it knowing that they were going to lose money. They just wanted the spectacle, and they got it. The event itself was entertaining, obviously, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, enjoyed it. I think what you can really appreciate is, like, I guess this is as close to like, you know, the in terms of the, the greatest heavyweight just combat sports fight you can get like right now at this time. Like 
Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou is that, and then obviously you take it to MMA, and it's John Jones and Stipe and Stipe Miocic. Now, obviously, the actual ideal scenario, I believe, would have been John Jones and Francis Ngannou going against each other. Hey, man, but Dana now, White said that's the stupidest idea ever because <laughs> Francis doesn't fight for the promotion. Do you see that clip, by the way? Oh, I, my yeah, God. Respect, respect to that reporter for asking the question, too, at yeah. least. You if know? you're out there, that was not a stupid question. That was a brilliant question, mm-hmm. and your points were great. Much appreciated. Yeah, man, it's um, about time someone's asking the real question. And you know when Dana gets that mad, it's because it's a good question. <laughs> like, it's not because it was a dumb one. So... Either way, man, like, MMA has just been crazy lately. I mean, we got Sean Strickland beefing with Valentina Shevchenko on Twitter. Like, what is happening lately in the MMA world? There's just been, it's been too much. It's not worth breaking down point by point, but it's just, it's worth bringing up. (laughs) It's definitely interesting. So, all is, I say all is well in the MMA world, despite the craziness that's going on lately. (laughs) And we'll see what happens in the next week, and we'll see if anything else comes up for us to talk about. Until then, we'll see y'all.